If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're getting interchangeable. We're talking about what it looks like to have an interchangeable win conditions in your game. What does it look like to have different ways for the game to end, different ways for players to win, depending on you know what cards come out, what tiles come out, you know how things can be changed at the end of a game to give some variability, give some interesting different choices for your players. You know They can keep coming back to the game because they're never sure about how it's actually going to end. And we're talking to Alex Liu, the designer of Dogs Bond. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Gabe. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Really excited to have you here. You know, you uh, submitted the Google form about the interesting thing that you were doing that you thought maybe other people weren't. And uh, it was really cool just to kind of read about the way that you're handling in conditions in your game. And I thought this is a very interesting thing to talk about. I hope it's going to maybe spark some ideas with different people that are listening as ways to maybe, you know, change up their game and give it some interesting variability, especially the way the game scores, the way the game ends. And so, yeah, just really pumped to hear about how you've implemented this system into your game and then maybe some ideas about, you know, other ways that people could do it. Just kind of like in theory, it would also be cool if you did it this other way that you didn't do, but maybe that you could do. Right. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Alex Liu and uh, my day job is I do mergers and acquisitions for Fortune 100 companies in the Silicon Valley, uh, California area. And um you know, I, what I wanted to do is uh, bring forward a lot of that management consulting project program leadership into a product that would really contribute uh, something to the space. I love board games uh, and I love dogs. And as I was volunteering with several uh, rescues, I, I'm not afraid to talk to people. So they always make me, you know, that person who talks to the the potential adopter, adopters. And a lot of adopters will say, oh, I want my dog to not shed a lot. I want them to take me on walks. I want them to make my coffee and fold my laundry. And I tell them, you know, hey, that's that's great. But have you thought about what your life will will need to change and uh, and and do in order to support and, and be a healthy environment for a dog? And they go, what? So I made the game and, uh, you know, it combines a lot of my passions around, um, you know, the playing of a game, finding a home for a dog it's it just is exudes the bonds of friendship and uh that's that's how i came to game design very cool all right you said that you handle mergers for tech companies in silicon valley where there's no no money being passed around there and so (laughs) (laughs) that's great i can't this is totally aside from the conversation but like that's totally crazy to think about like working on those deals between these bazillion dollar valued companies 
And uh, I can see where you might want to jump into game design as a way to let off the pressure, because I'm sure yeah. there's no stress, no pressure at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Especially <laughs> now, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, this, you know, Dog's Bond was a project that I jumped into because, you know, for all of the hard work and energy and effort that we put into um, the mergers and acquisitions, uh, for, for many moments once that project is done is done and what's your legacy right your legacy might be a person's experience uh you know maybe some some powerpoint slides that you created but there there's not a lot of legacy in that and so when i thought about what is it that i want to contribute back to society i wanted to think about uh you know and i was thinking about games and ideas um creating a game that could deliver a positive change and there's a pun in there the positive change to the conversation about fostering rescuing and adopting dogs uh i said you know what i've got to do it i think i can do it i'm going to try it and um after about two years of game design development and one year focusing primarily on the art and the design we're here it's done and i'm really proud very cool. All right, let's jump into the topic. You're talking about interchangeable win conditions, let's get a good working definition, a good frame for this conversation. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so in, in Dog's Bond, the players take on the role of a dog that's collecting the attributes to be adopted into a forever home. So within that story element, I didn't want to make it where there's only one adopter for all the players, for all the dogs, because how sad is that? And I also wanted to avoid having the game make a statement about a best kind of adopter for all dogs. Um, also too, because I wanted to have the game offer a lot of diversity and inclusion uh, represented in the human adopters, I knew I had to create those interchangeable win conditions. So the way I did that was, you know, I've got eight adopters and they're all different, you know, walks of life, flavors of people, um, ethnicities, genders, uh, and putting those in. And you play with six of them. There are six houses or house cards and those house numbers are a location within the within the win condition within the end game and you place six of the eight adopters into those uh house cards that way you can i was easily able to map it where an event might affect a particular adopter just with a simple die roll right you roll a three okay it's number three you roll a five okay it's number five um and then also too at the strategy component of the game these house cards correspond to a point value that you get if you're adopted into that particular house so the sixth house gives you six points the first house gives you one point so this really wasn't that different to a lot of other games that have like multipliers or kickers that increase your points if you end up there it's just that i put that all at the front of the game and all that information is available and open uh in the beginning um to allow you to kind of start noodling on and thinking about your strategy uh right as you're you know just doing the game setup okay gotcha and now is this all done at at the setup so like at the very beginning it's kind of randomized what cards yep. come out okay yeah so so yeah so house one through six that's placed down in in numerical order and then you shuffle the adopters and the adopters are looking for different sets of attributes some are looking for you know health and grooming and others are looking for obedience and temperament and so depending on what they're looking for you know, that's how the strategy then starts to affect, right? Did you get dealt those cards? Are you playing those cards? Are you seeing your, your opponents, um, you know, playing too many of those cards? Maybe I'm going to avoid that particular adopter because it's too popular and I'll go somewhere else. Um, so there's a lot, you know, that happens right there at the beginning. Lots of, lots of information. 
Very cool. And now, is this something you had as part of the game from the beginning, or is this something you kind of landed on later, or when did the whole interchangeable idea come about? The interchangeable idea really came about first first thing, off the bat. Um, I knew that I wanted to have players developing and you know being the best dog that they could be and you know the cards kind of dictated that but what were they going to build towards um you know sometimes people uh would gravitate just because you know oh i like the art on that adopter more so i'm going to go that way or um you know i was just dealt three health cards so i'm just going to play all the health and go after the adopter that wants the most health um it was a way that in the end condition i could make that strategy an option for the players, but not railroad them into thinking, oh, well, I have to get the house six to become the automatic winner or the first one to be adopted is going to be a winner because it wasn't a race. It was really about building out kind of the best character, the dog character with the stats that you could be and then finding the correct and appropriate home. Interesting. All right. So you explained in pretty good detail about why you wanted to do this for your game as far as, you know, not making a statement about, hey, this is the perfect kind of adopter or anything like that. So it makes a right. lot of sense for your theme and the game that mm-hmm. you're designing in particular. But let's talk about kind of more general terms. Why should a designer in, in general uh, think about maybe having different win conditions, having interchangeable win conditions, having you know things that um, change up or give some variability to how the game ends or how you score at the end? Why should designers in general just kind of think about this type of uh, part of the process? For me, it's all about the replayability, right? And I think that that's something that I also too wanted to really pack into this box is that no matter how many times you play, you're probably not going to have that same experience. Um, It's not the, you know, old two dice roll and, you know, whatever, just advance forwards as fast as you can. There's a lot more strategy. There's a lot more ownership and agency that you can kind of have in these kinds of games um, and putting that forwards. Um, By making it by making one thing randomized in the whole game setup, which is just take the six adopt, take the eight adopters, shuffle and pick six of them, right, and lay them out in the in the order that they've got. I think I did the math once, and I think the combinations there were like three thousand something, <laughs> like in order to play the same game or like have the same even initial setup you would have to play 3,900 times. And I just knew that that for me was just fascinating. Um, The math stats all worked out. And um, yeah, I just think that it allows for a game um, to present a unique experience each time you play it. And especially, and with every, you know, with different people that you play with. And that for me is really exciting. That's why I come to board games. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I can see a game like this running into a situation where you've got 10 different interchangeable win conditions. And mm-hmm. as it turns out, these five are really good. And uh, these couple are okay. And uh, these three over here, yeah, just throw those away. They're not fun at all. Don't ever use them. And so how do you make sure, obviously playtesting is part of this, but how do you in general just kind of make sure you don't run into a situation where you have like these over here, these are really, the game is really fun with these and these over here, just just get rid of them. Like how do you make sure everything's kind of balanced and works and makes sense and, you know, players don't run into that? Right, right. So I think that, you know, the turn order, the game flow, those thing, those types of things need to remain constant. Um, for me, the way that I make sure to meter that is by ensuring that the way you count up points at the end of the game was consistent every single time, right? And um, by by understanding, like, well, every time I have a set of 
you know, one grooming, two temperament, or two obedience, one health. Like I know that that's a point, right? With these with these adopters, that just remaining constant, and it's just like um, like other games that have a lot of um, you know decision in in turn decision making, right? Games like maybe Cosmic Encounter for an for an example, where you're deciding a lot of different things with just one card. Um, that's exactly why I, I like having the interchangeable win conditions because then it's not like a, it's not like a script that you build. Like if you get this card, make sure to play it on the third turn. If you get this card, you have to you know play it on the fifth turn. It really improves it for me as a designer and as well as a player myself. It really improves that variability and also to puts a lot more of the strategy back onto me, right? Which is why I like to play games and 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 those are the types of games that I enjoy playing. Yeah, this is something to definitely take into account to consider is how much of your game is consistent. Every single game that players going in, they know this is how the game scores in general and there might be some little tweaks in there. But then this section over here is going to be totally variable because I feel like if you start having too much variability, then mm -hmm. players might run into a situation where they feel like the game kind of determines who's going to win before you even play. Like you're as you sit down at the table, kind of like Candyland, right? And mm -hmm. when you sit down at the table and play Candyland, well, the, the way the deck has been shuffled and it sits, that has determined who's going to win because it's really about drawing the cards and who gets right, whatever. In, in that order, right. Yeah. And so you want to avoid that by having so much variability that players are like, well... You know, John over here, he ended up with like the perfect situation to get the most points just based on the random card draw. And I don't even feel like it matters me playing like you don't want to run into that. And so I think that's another thing for people to be aware of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, um, to that point, I made sure that counting points are only based on three main criteria. And so keeping it simple. Right, you can introduce as much variability as you want, and and the way that again, the way that we were able to achieve it is by having these six house cards that are constant, and then you shuffle the adopters. Right, that gives you the the new win conditions that are you know interchangeable. But the gameplay turn order, how it's played, how it's scored, that all remains constant, and that really builds up kind of the player's confidence in understanding how to play your game um you know similar to well really any game that you know you may have learned growing up somebody taught you your first board game right i, I know very few people i don't know if i know anyone who is who learned their very first board game by cracking it open and reading the rules top to bottom right somebody introduced them to to it and 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 being able to kind of find those patterns and keep those patterns in your turn order and your game flow uh, from a you know and keeping that player experience in mind, um, that's where you can kind of allow yourself to design for. Well, let's let's give them a little switch here. Let's get, throw them a curveball there, right? And that's what I think good designers are are always looking for, right? Uh, to 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 make sure that you allow the player to kind of say, Ah, I see what you're doing there, and jump right in. Definitely. All right. So tell me a little bit about your playtesting process and maybe some things about the game that changed as you watched other people play the game. And, it, you know, maybe you saw them gravitate towards one win condition more than others. And so you had to figure out, OK, how do I balance that out? Or maybe no one ever, ever went towards one. You're like, All right. How do I make that one a little more powerful? Tell me about that. Yeah. So within the playtesting, um, I would say that it was less statistical playtesting and more uh, experiential game testing. Um, and this is, of course, you know, in the before times when we were able to have, you know, consistent uh, game testing groups like in person. Um, but 
when we were when I was doing a lot of the initial play testing uh, for the wind conditions, it was all about making it clear how to um, how to score and how to win. When I didn't have a good prototype about the win board and like visually showing folks how they were tracking against other um, how they were tracking against other players, how they were tracking towards some you know a specific adopter, they couldn't see it. And so what I had to do was it really forced me into you know thinking about more carefully the components, the graphic design, the visual design of how to communicate that to the player. And um, even though they understood like you know the wind conditions could change, you know the wind conditions changed at the beginning of the game, so every game was different. Once they were in it. And once they were able to see it, that's how they really started to gravitate towards it. Because, again, adding up three numbers to create your total score made a lot more sense than trying to, you know, do a lot of algebra like n minus one or take the number of players and subtract this and, you know, all that thing. I, I think it's been it was really important through the interchangeable win conditions being set up in such a way that you knew you had to go find different cards and play different cards and your strategy might change to get there but again how we change how we calculate those points um was ever constant and that was really important there very cool all right let's uh let's get theoretical for a second what are some other ideas that you might have or maybe tried and didn't work or maybe you thought well this could work in maybe a totally different game as far as interchangeable win conditions. Like, in theory, we're going to design a different type of game. Mm -hmm. What would be some cool ways to uh, put this idea into that game design process? Yeah, I mean, um, things like, you know, things like mission cards, thing, you know, secret mission cards or open mission cards, right, um, always allow us to, you know, kind of take the, um, take the game that we know and love and, and, and mix it up. Right. So other games that have interchangeable win conditions like Flux or Betrayal on House Hill, those are really interesting because you never know how it's going to end up or how you're going to win or how you're going to lose. Um, but those all all those game changes like happen mid game. So potentially, you know, in midstream, if I were to, you know, look at look at what we built for Dogs Bond and then introduce some kind of card that allows you to gain a bunch of points if you rush or like if you, you know. Uh, declare this is going to be my adopter and then really kind of go for it and get additional points like that's an addition that's another way where you can build upon the interchangeable win conditions um giving a giving the player the agency to say kind of like like in pool right eight ball corner pocket like if you can call that <laughs> early in the game yeah you're gonna you're gonna win a lot and if you miss then what happens, you know? Um, so I think that there's there's always cool opportunities like that. Yeah, and I know Scythe does this in some really cool ways. And, you know, Ticket Ride is another game that has mm -hmm. different win, technically win conditions, I guess, because you've are you got those secret uh, route cards that, you know, you're trying to accomplish and different things like that. But yeah, it's just interesting to think through the, the game, like whatever game you're designing, like, is this something you could add in there just to add some variability? Now, not to add variability just for var variability's sake. I don't think that's necessarily the thing to do. I think a lot of people have done that in the past, a lot of publishers, and they kind of put out some mediocre expansions, you know, that, that maybe weren't 
necessary for the game. They just wanted to put things out there. And I don't know. Maybe some people love them. That's that's fine. But uh, I think it's something interesting to think about. Like even if you're doing just small changes, right? In this game, you know, if you had a, a sci-fi game where you're conquering planets or something like that, in this game, that's worth three points. But yep. next game, it might be worth two points, and having a bunch of resources is worth three points instead. Like you can do little tweaks that just make the game a little bit different every time. So you're not, you know, you don't have these big changes or Maybe you do totally different win conditions every time, and, and so you're never sure exactly what's going to happen. It's just going to be a matter of how long do you want to take balancing and playtesting it and really figuring out, okay, let's make sure all these combinations are fun, they're all good. There, there aren't some that when you know when that card comes up, everybody groans like, oh, this, this one, no one wants this one, let's just throw that away, and right. avoiding that. But uh, it's just interesting to think about the possibility. Yeah, hundred percent. I love the idea of the space. You know, like if you're conquering, you know, conquering planets or, you know, gaining control of like a sector or something that being, you know, worth a certain amount of points and resources, other points, and then like you could just throw down a, you know, kind of like like they've done in some of the fast pace risk games or something, right? Where it's like, oh, well, you need to control X amount of territories, right? Or resources is what scares this game, so you know that's what you're all after, and you can kind of intermix those um, and sometimes they make the game shorter in terms of you know we have a we have a world we have a we've done the world building we've done the universe building we can play through the entire thing you know 15 hour or 100 hour experience but then you can also pare it down and say okay as soon as you've gotten this this section of the board under your control you've won right and sometimes and again right having that being uh those interchangeable win conditions like and you know uh, I really like your calling out tickets or ride because you pick up those cards and then you choose whether or not you're going to keep them, right? So, again, giving the player that agency, giving it um, more of the of the decisions, especially after, well, I'm pretty bad at tickets or ride, so whenever I lose, I go, man, if I had kept that one mission card, you know, <laughs> built that route, would have won. So, 100% agree. Definitely. I think another thing to take into account, especially if you're going to have one of these games that has um, win conditions that change mid-game, is being aware of how long does the game take to play. If you have a two-hour game that all of a sudden the win conditions change halfway through or three-quarters of the way through, you might have some very angry players because they were going towards one strategy and they were super excited. They were maybe in the lead, and then all of a sudden the game changed and said, oh, you don't win that way, you win this other way, and Mm -hmm. now an hour worth of work is, is useless and you know now they're going to lose. And so I think with Flux, super chaotic game, wind conditions constantly changing and are in Flux, but um, the game only takes, I don't know, a relatively short amount of time to play. And so you right. don't ever like get locked into a strategy for a whole bunch of time and then the rug get pulled out from under you. Uh, yeah. Same thing with Betrayal and House on the Hill. Like You're halfway through the game, but everybody knew that halfway through the game, something crazy was going to happen, and then now the wind conditions are going to be revealed. So you didn't even have wind conditions until the game was nearly over, and now you do have wind conditions, and now you really kind of figure out where to go from here. So I think that's one way also that, that you can do it. And so yep. I think time of the game. So how long is the, how long does Dog's Bond take to play? And was this also something you had to take into account when you were doing these interchangeable conditions? Yeah, um, Dog's Bond itself takes uh, about 15 minutes per player. Right. And if you're reading the rules for the first time, I would I would hope that it takes you about 20, maybe 23 minutes per player. So I'm really trying to scale it based on, you know, uh, the complexity. Uh, the, the target age is 10 and up. So I know that the level of attention that you have there is going to be uh, sometimes a little shorter. Right. And, and, and we aimed 
it at a kind of wholesome demographic, right? Dog lovers, uh, families, right? Folks with, you know, a family, maybe a range of, of kids in the, in the house or, you know, just friends who are looking for that palate cleanser, you know, waiting on their D&D group to show up, you know, hey, let's play a game. It's only going to take us 30 minutes, 45 minutes to play. Um, and yeah, we, we really did try to uh, emphasize that the speed and style of play also keep you moving, right? Um, I, I know that there are many games, worker placement, resource management, right? Where sometimes that analysis paralysis, you have one player who knows the game and is like, hey, remember, you got to do your production phase. Hey, you got to remember you do this other this other thing, this other thing. Um, that's not what I wanted um, for, this, for this particular game experience. And so we had to factor that in and make sure that it was pretty straightforward, just kind of a, a draw and play mechanic really was was what we focused on. Yeah, another thing I want to highlight here just as something for people to be aware of and to think about is so a while back I had a coaching call with uh, a young man who's been working on a game, very simple game, and he has variable uh, win conditions, but the players during play get to kind of affect different things. And it's based on what cards come out and you can kind of take cards and put them in your tableau in front of you and that all of a sudden gives you personally a different win condition potentially. But other players can affect you. So, for instance, you might have this card in front of you that gives you like, you know, you need these X number of other cards to win the game. Mm -hmm. And so you're going after that strategy. But then, you know, you're one card away from winning. And then the player to your left all of a sudden plays a card and moves that win condition card out of your tableau. And now now that's not your win condition anymore. And so one of the things I warned him about was like, be aware that people are going to be very, very frustrated if that <laughs> happens, right? Because all of a sudden, again, you're in that situation of I worked for the last 15 minutes to get here. I'm about to win and now I'm losing. And that doesn't feel good to people when you get that kind of take that moment. And so I just told him like, hey, think about different ways that maybe people can lock in a win condition. Maybe there's ways that you can get a card in front of you and now you play a different card and it locks it where people can't take it. Or, you know, just start thinking through ways for players to have choices about the cards that they get, about the win conditions that they take on, if other players are able to affect that. Because you, you might run into a situation where the game all of a sudden drags on because mm -hmm. everybody keeps playing all these cards to do different <laughs> things to keep people from winning, right? It's like, no, right. you can't win. And everybody gangs up on the winner or the leader. And all of a sudden now they're not winning and now another person's in the lead and it just keeps going around and around and around for the next 20 minutes until somebody <laughs> just happens to luck out and get the right set of cards at the right time and nobody can mess with them. So I think that's another thing just to be aware of. Absolutely. And when, you know, I have a good example of this. Um, it's not when the players are deciding, but uh, when the board game, right, the RNG decides on you. So if a couple of friends of mine were playing Arkham Horror and uh, we ended up just kind of calling the game because all of us were tired after nine hours. Like, and and we're we're relatively good board game players. We're we're diligent. We are we're purposeful. But what had happened was, you know, we kept on uncovering different conditions that would either help or harm us, and they would either speed up or slow down kind of the game and how fast the monsters would move, which monsters are going after it, and a lot of like just so many bits to try to keep track of, right? And I know when folks are designing these games, they're like, oh yeah, let's just add this one more thing. It's like, but you've got to remember that you've already added six more things to your base kind of process, right? Your turn order. And each of those adds a degree of not just difficulty to win, but also to difficulty to administrate. Right. And I think that's another thing that you kind of want to think about is if you have this chaotic deck of many things, maybe make it where um, 
this deck of chaotic things can't come into existence if you've already got two other things happening. You know what I mean? So like, it doesn't just add terrible amounts of chaos and bookkeeping to the game experience, but really add something to the story, add something to, you know, those stand-up moments where it's like, we're going to win on this card flip, yes or no. And then you flip the card and then you realize, oh no, it wants us to add 10 other cards to the codex, right? <laughs> and you're just, uh, and then you end up in a grind situation more than you're in a, in a game situation. Yeah, you definitely want to be aware of not overloading your players with too many, too many things to think about, too much bookkeeping to mm-hmm. take care of. Alex, this has been great, man. Any closing thoughts, anything that you want to maybe encourage people or leave listeners with as far as interchangeable win conditions? Yeah, uh, I think that the the main priority around your inter- interchangeable win conditions is always build on the resources that your players are already uh, are already acquiring, right? Um, there's a big difference between the, um, you know, for me, when you move a piece forwards versus you take a piece and you gain points, right? And I think that there's that slight difference there that made all the difference for me, especially when I teach the game now. Um, it's you gain points for everything that you've done. You've gained points for every um, set you've made. You've gained points for every for the house card that you've gotten. You gain points for the adopter that you've uh, impressed with your you know with your stats. So um, it's a it's a gain and a gain and have um, type of uh, win condition, um, and then. Making the interchangeability, uh, if you're going to interchange those win conditions for the whole table, have them open because secret changing win conditions make it really, really difficult for people to play the game two or three times and kind of understand it. Um, You want them to very clearly understand, like, I win if I have the most points or if I'm the best dog or, you know, the most colonies or whatever it is. But, um, Build build that in. Focus on like three, you know, one, two, maybe three uh, key elements, especially in the math, where people understand. Okay, this is what I gain. This is what I gain. This is what I gain. It's a total score. Um, I think that's it's 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 not as hard as it seems. <laughs> three things to add up, and you can add all you can add and layer in all the complexity to get there in the game. That's what. That's what game design's all about, and that's how you make it fun. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, where can people find you, your company, your game online? Absolutely. So uh, Dogs Bond, we successfully funded on Kickstarter in September 2020, and uh, very proud of that. Right now, we're still taking on late pledges through uh, through CrowdOx, so you can find Dogs Bond, B-O-N-D, uh, on CrowdOx. And, of course, you can find our website, dogsbondgame.com and uh join our mailing list uh we have a couple of cool um you know giveaways coloring pages that sort of thing and uh you know you'll also too get news about our anticipated expansions um other ideas that we've got kind of in the hopper and uh we'd love to we'd love to have you join our pack www.dogsbondgame.com awesome well alex really appreciate your time really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck bringing Dogs Bond to the market and uh, good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Hey, thanks Gabe so much for for giving me an opportunity to uh, share some ideas around the uh, interchangeable win conditions. Had a great time. Thanks for listening. 
Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?